Welcome to Beyond Politics, broadcast on WKXL, available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson, and I wanted to bring you a discussion that I had yesterday with legendary West Virginia radio broadcaster Howard Monroe about the implications of everything we've learned in the January 6th investigation hearings. You may have also heard our interview in this podcast feed with Barb McQuaid, who was a U.S. attorney from Michigan and is the NBC News legal analyst also talking about this. She brings a legal perspective. Howard and I got into a little bit of the legal view, but also some of some of the political implications, some of the narrative and, and public communications implications of this. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation and that you'll check out that other show that we just put out yesterday with Barb McQuaid. And with that, here's Howard. I want to talk about the, uh, the January 6th hearings, which I think have been extremely powerful. I have watched almost all of them. I think they have done a great job of presenting the evidence, gathering the evidence, uh, making it clear and understandable, which is something that Matt Robeson and I talked about the last time he and I previewed these hearings. I think they've made it clear and understandable. Matt Robeson, former um, campaign consultant, former congressional staffer, now a political broadcaster and podcaster and writer, is here with us this morning. Matt, good morning. You watching the hearings, I'm sure, right? Hey, Howard, if you just introduced me, we're having this weird thing where the sound cuts out for three or four seconds, so I promise that that wasn't me trying to be all dramatic with a pause before I, I came in there. That was, yeah, yeah, that, was yeah, yeah. that was actually technical stuff. First of all, I have no idea what you said in your introduction to me. I'm sure it was very kind, as you always are. And I just come want on, to tell me the truth. You, you were you were waiting for the you know like the the trumpets and the and the ruffles and flurries to introduce <laughs> yes. you. That you said I'm not going to do it until he played, until I get well, the drum all, roll or something. I was hoping for hail to the chief. Second of all, <laughs> the answer to your question, your on-air question about Greatest West Virginia is Chuck Yeager. There's not even a there's not even a doubt in my mind. Do you realize that there was an entire generation? You and I are of a certain age. There was an entire generation of people who boarded airplanes. Every single airline pilot in America sounded like they came from coal country. Why? Because they all came out of the military. They had all had kind of injected into their veins the idea that the, the apotheosis, the greatest thing you could be, is like Chuck Yeager. That's why, for, for a long time, like, the parody of an airline pilot was, folks, we're cruising. I can't even do it. You know what I mean, though. You know that. Yeah, no, you're right. Everyone trying to be Chuck Yeager. So that's the answer to that. And we've had several of our listeners text those uh, answers in, and I mentioned Chuck Yeager early on. That's one that pops into my mind as well. I think it depends on where your head is at. If you're uh, the, the first suggestion we had was Joe Manchin, simply because he is so much in the news these days. If your uh, if your mind goes to the sports world, Jerry West is probably one of the most famous West Virginia. If you're in the musical world, Brad Paisley. Um, but Chuck Yeager uh, is one that came to my mind right away as well. Um, I'm not sure people – and he passed away, what, just last year, I think. It was he, – he lived an incredibly long time. Given that he was in test flight, um, that's it, – it's, it, it's, it's remarkable. Look, I know we want to talk about the worst American, not the greatest American, but he's on the list of the greatest Americans. Um, and, and on that happy I'm, – I'm happy to turn to talking about the absolute worst of American humanity now. Um, I just wanted to get in my, my Chuck Yeager thought of the morning. No, it's good. I'm glad you did, and we're getting a lot of calls on that as well. Uh, so, but my question to you that you didn't hear was, I assume you were watching the hearings, first of all, right? I, You know, I, I, I've been watching some. 
Um, you know, you and I talked about this. It's, it is important to watch because this is the visual impact of it. Um, but I've also been reading an awful lot about him because there's just an incredible amount. I, I, I think we have to be very careful with the hearing. This is what we talked about last time. The point of it to some degree is to tell the story to the American people. So there's spectacle, there's narrative, there's visual impact. All of those things are important. But what we have to be focused on, what we have to care about is not the politics of it. If we put politics first, it is going to be a failure because these hearings are not going to change politics. I, I don't believe the the impact is really legal. This is about this is about our constitutional and legal duty to find out who is trying to execute literally a coup against the American government, who was involved, and to and to punish them. And, and to, and to go after them legally and to make sure that they don't participate in American government ever again. ABC News Ipsos poll out this weekend, nearly six out of every ten Americans, 60%, believe that Donald Trump should be charged with a crime for his role in the incident, uh, the, the insurrection. So 60% are saying, now, that is heavily leaned to Democrat. When you split it down, Democrats, Republicans, it looks a little bit different. But across the country, 60% think that Donald Trump should be charged with a crime. I'll be honest with you, uh, Matt. I'm not sure that I have seen a crime that you can definitely pin on Donald Trump. I don't think there's any question that the people who were there believed that Donald Trump wanted them to be there. They said so. You know, some of the Proud Boys and and, uh, and the Oath Keepers, I mean, in their interviews, their depositions, they said, we're here because Donald Trump told us to come. But I think it's hard to prove that. I mean, Donald Trump never said the words, go and attack the Capitol. I think it's I think it's hard to bring charges against Donald Trump, even though it is clear from all the evidence they're presenting that he was, he, he intended, he wanted the election stolen. He wanted it stolen for him. Uh, but I, I don't know. 60% of those say they think um, they think he ought to be held accountable. Well, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to try to address this, and I'm going to I'm going to I will do my I will do the best information that I've got, the best legal analysis that I've got. But I want to ask all of your listeners to don't take my word for it. We're going to have Barbara McQuaid on the Beyond Politics show, and, and people can check that out. It's going to come out today. We're about to interview her. Right after I get off the air with you, this is coming up in a couple of hours. She is a former U.S. attorney. She's well-known to many of your listeners as the NBC legal analyst. And I'm going to ask her if we've heard enough at this point to prosecute Donald Trump. So what I want everyone to do is, wherever you're listening to the Watchdog Network, just let your fingers stray to whatever device you use and subscribe to Beyond Politics, the podcast, and you'll hear that later today. But I'll tell you what, what I have seen in all the analysis I've read, and I'm not an attorney. Daniel Goldman, who was the legal advisor during the impeachment, during the first impeachment, I should say, tweeted last week that in his view, the criminal case is stronger against Trump for conspiring to impair the lawful function of government than obstructing con- Congress or seditious conspiracy, both of which center on January 6th. Now, what does that mean? 
What does he mean by that? What he means is that the January 6th committee hearings thus far have been ironic. They've been like that scene in The Matrix where the kid says to Neo, it's not about the spoon. The January 6th hearings so far have not really been about January 6th. Yes, they started with the visual impact of the violence of that day so that people would emotionally feel this was the outcome. This is, this is what, this is where we ended up with it. But what they've really been focusing on is the run-up, is the two and a half months beforehand and everything, all of the plotting, the literal plotting that that, that this conspiracy was undertaking to try to overthrow the U.S. government. That is what is legally significant because it was all of that preliminary work that that was involved in trying to impair the lawful function of government that all of these people are now legally accountable for, and that includes Donald Trump. There is now a strong case that all of these hazy things we were beginning to hear about, alternative slates of electors and these memos and these legal theories and trying to game out what Mike Pence would do that day and then who would say what. All of that was coup plotting. All of that was illegal. And the, the key, the key is that Rudy Giuliani admitted that it was illegal. John Eastman, who wrote that notorious memo, admitted in writing that it was illegal. They knew. They knew it was illegal. And I, we can talk more about the, the legal concept that I'm going to get into with Barbara McQuaid today, but there is, there's an important legal concept here that basically says Donald Trump knew or should have known, and therefore he is culpable for everything that happened in that illegal plot. You know, you've actually convinced me uh, to maybe change my mind a bit because I've been of the we'll never get Trump mode because I, I've been thinking about somehow connecting him to the actual insurrection acts. But I think you make a good point. The, the January 6th committee has been building a strong case that Donald Trump absolutely knew he had lost the election. He absolutely knew that no election that wasn't stolen from him. There were none of these weird things happening. And yet he still pursued that in an effort to overturn the election purely because he wanted to continue to be president. And uh, I, that's that's actually a good point. Instead of focusing on the, the actions of the day of January 16th, focusing on the attempt to really subvert democracy, because uh, the first uh, the first hearing... They spent, or second one, I forget, but they spent a huge amount of time showing from his own staffers and his own family that Donald Trump was absolutely aware he did not win this election. He was absolutely aware that it was not stolen from him. He was absolutely aware that there were no massive irregularities. He knew he had lost, and yet he still continued to try to overturn it. So that's... You've, you've given me a little something different to think about, Matt. I had not thought about it from that perspective. Well, I appreciate that. And, I, you know, look, I, I think you summarized it really, really well. Here's another thought experiment. And never never think out loud is, is, is a lesson I should have learned a long time ago. Because <laughs> you really, one should form one's thoughts into coherence. But I'm going to try here. Let's do a thought experiment together with, with your listeners right now, live on the radio. 
if the attack of January 6th had never happened, would Donald Trump have committed a crime? And it's interesting to think about. Again, I'm going to I'm going to pose this question to Barbara McQuaid, but it's interesting to think about because we have all focused and the political fight has been around. Did Donald Trump incite a riot? And that's a hard thing to prove. You know, people have been parsing his words at the rally that day and his invitation to the people who attended the rally to say, be there, we'll be wild. You know, was that the, the, the match that, that lit the flame of the attack? And we could argue that till the cows come home. But I think what I've been hearing from the committee is we're focused on the wrong thing. That may not be the most legally significant piece of all of this. Because if you have entered into a conspiracy, and my, my co-host, former U.S. Congressman Paul Hodes on Beyond Politics, is also a former prosecutor. He's a former assistant attorney general. He actually worked for uh, Justice David Souter back when he was the attorney general of, of New Hampshire. And he has made a really powerful case on our show that conspiracy is is an important legal concept here. You enter into a conspiracy to commit an illegal act, that's illegal. You can go to jail for that. People go to jail for that. Mobsters go to jail for that. So all of this plotting that was going on in the run-up to January 6th, that in itself was the illegal act. And so, again, I'm not sure of the answer. But I just I just pose this question to everybody: If January sixth itself had never had ha, had never happened, would Donald Trump be prosecutable today for everything that happened beforehand? The evidence that's come out suggests to me, but I'm going to ask some some actual prosecutors that the answer could well be yes. Well, I think your point's well taken, and again, um, it, 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 you're right. Let's assume there was no riot at the Capitol, there was no insurrection. Uh, was still, he, he made an effort to ask, he asked Mike Pence to basically throw the election his way. Uh, that's fairly well documented. His advisors, who had first advised him that he lost the election, then in writing advised him ways to try to steal the election. So there's, and again, what the committee has done very well, I think, is show that they have got documentation, both depositional and, uh, and documental, that uh, that Donald Trump and others around him, you're right, it's a good word to use, conspired to steal the election knowing that they had not won it. Um, I'm curious to see what your guest has to say, but I think that's, uh, I think that's a really good point. Uh, Matt, I need to take a quick break. Can you hang on for a little bit? Absolutely, sure. I want to continue talking about this. The January 6th committee has had a week of hearings, and I think they've been pretty powerful They've been pretty meaningful. They've been pretty damning. Um, but how effective are they? And we'll talk more about that with Matt Robeson coming up. All right, back to Matt Robeson, the uh, campaign, former campaign consultant, former congressional staffer. I say that so it gives you some sense that he's got perspective on things here. He is a podcaster, a blogger, a writer, and a broadcaster, and one of our political analysts. And we're talking about the January 6th hearings that have been going on for a week now. Uh, when you and I talked before uh, last time, uh, Matt, previewing the January 6th hearings, one of the things that you said and I concurred with was that they needed to be able to build a narrative that people could understand. I use the analogy of 
people never understood Watergate until they saw all the president's men kind of put in perspective. Have they done a good job, do you think, of presenting this in a, in a narrative form that people can comprehend? I think they have. I think the video presentations and the deposition videos from key Republicans. I, you know, <laughs> there was a cartoon this week showing Kevin McCarthy, the House Minority Leader, saying, these hearings have been partisan. And then the next panel says, all of the testimonials have come from Republicans. Good point. (laughs) And so I do think that that has been effective. Hearing from Ivanka Trump, hearing from Bill Barr using a profanity, saying that this entire theory that you could overturn the election was, in his word, well, I won't say the full word, it was BS, that it was BS. I think that all of that is effective. It's so effective that apparently uh, online, uh, among the QAnon types, there are now all kinds of conspiracy theories about, well, maybe that wasn't really Ivanka. Maybe that was a deep fake. Um, Maybe she was drugged. I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. Maybe she was drugged. Um, You know, and so they, they, they can't accept the reality. That tells you that when reality is so painful, that you have to disassociate and say, well, maybe this isn't even real. Maybe, you know, maybe this is all made up. It can't possibly be true. There's something effective going on. Although I will say, at the risk of repeating ourselves from last time, that it it is all, the, the key question is, effective at what? And correct. if deep down in our hearts, Democrats are saying, this is it, We're going to win the midterms because of this, because people will show up in droves to reject this attack on America. That is not very likely. In that same set of polling that you cited earlier, only 30% or so of Americans say that January 6th is going to have a major impact on their vote. And you know that the majority of those people are Democrats who were already against right. Republicans. And so this is not going to have a political impact, at least not immediately, not in the sense that we tend to think of it in terms of the next election. So in this ABC Ipsos poll, 34% of Americans are, 34%, so just about a third of the country, only a third of the country, are actually following the hearings closely or somewhat closely. Uh, overwhelmingly Democrats, 43%, 22% of Republicans. But over half of Americans, just over half, 51%, say that what they have been reading, seeing, and hearing about the hearings has made no difference, zero difference, in who they plan to support in the November election. So your point is very well taken, Matt, that this is not going to have a huge impact, I don't think, in this election. I believe it may have been you or one of our earlier, one of our other guests on this subject, who suggested the biggest impact possibly of these hearings could be to make Donald Trump think twice about running again with all of this information out there, with all of his folks turning against him. Uh, that may be the most powerful uh, implication that could come from this, is that he would say, hey, but maybe, you know, maybe, I, maybe I don't want to get into this right now. Well, that, that is possible. We, you know, there are several impacts um, that Democrats would, would welcome and that you would think that any right-thinking American would welcome. One is that um, people, Donald Trump could be deprived of some of his key counselors, advisors, and supporters. Um, 
you know, this this could drive a real rift between him and, say, Ivanka, <laughs> um, you know, and some of the people who would be otherwise assets for him in a 2024 campaign could be taken off the table. It could shift the needle even further away from Republicans being willing to kind of sit back and, you know, and they, they may start to look for more of an alternative. Um, you know, the more he keeps yeah, exactly. going on the big lie, the more openness there will be to, can't we have basically the same package here with fewer liabilities in Ron DeSantis? Now, that said, there is a danger for Democrats here as well. And it was summed up beautifully by one of the top Democratic media consultants in the business right now. I won't say his name. I'll say it's a he who texted me at night last week to say inflation is out of control. Everyone is talking about the risks of a recession or worse. And all Democrats can talk about is January 6th. We look stupid. And that, that is a risk here that, as you just cited from that polling, relatively few Americans are paying attention to this. And to some degree, look, if you're in it, from a Democrat standpoint, this is so obvious. It's so obvious that what we're saying here is that anyone who is involved in a coup against America it should be disqualified from public service. They should be repugnant to to all of us politically. And, you know, making that point and, you know, going out and developing the evidence and going after them legally, those are important. Those are critical to the ongoing health of the country. And so Democrats get that. But for the vast majority of the country, that's very hard to see. And what's really on their minds right now is high prices for gasoline and, and groceries. And there is a danger to Democrats of as important as we think this is. And it is. It is critically important. It just may not be something that the country is able to absorb with other things that are on their mind. It's it's a sad truth. Yeah, that's and, – and, you know, you get into – I get into the echo chamber on Twitter and – uh, the, the 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 people I follow but all right this is it we finally nailed him we've got it yeah oh boy this, this this is wonderful it's all been proven it's over and done with now and I'm thinking you guys don't understand you're not, you're all talking to each other and you get outside the bubble and you realize that it isn't quite that way Matt I have to run on here unfortunately but um uh we'll do this again sometime soon we got to keep in touch talking more about this meantime I encourage people to check out Beyond Politics. Your interview uh, that you're doing this afternoon will be up later today, I assume? Later today. That's right. All right. So check out Beyond Politics wherever you get podcasts and uh, Apple Podcasts or whatever, and uh, Matt will uh, have some good stuff for you. And, Matt, you and I will talk again in the near future. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, my friend. Always appreciate it. Thanks, Howard. That wraps up the conversation that I had with Howard, and it's interesting listening back to it after I did the interview with Barbara McQuaid, because I had speculated as part of this show here that Barb might say that January 6th wasn't really necessary to an investigation and a prosecution of Donald Trump. And indeed, that is what she said in the show, that in many ways, the attack on January 6th, while incredibly historically important and significant, 
from a legal perspective, wasn't even necessarily the most significant or important thing from a, from a criminal liability standpoint. And that sets up all kinds of questions about where we go from here. Is Attorney General Merrick Garland going to prosecute after these hearings wrap up? What is the committee itself going to do? We are, by the way, planning to have one of the committee members, Jamie Raskin, onto our show to ask him those questions. And so, as always, I want to thank everyone for listening and also Please do subscribe now because we're going to stay on this theme. We're going to be bringing in some really fantastic and interesting guests to talk about all of this as it unfolds. And of course, as always, leave us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help us out.